You guys are the greatest. Good morning, good morning. It is good to be with you uh, this morning as we launch into a new series. And that series is on resilience. And I don't know how often you all use that term or have heard that term, but in order to be resilient, we've got to have some snapback. It's like having a rubber band that gets stretched, but it's able to come back to its form. It's about having grit, having determination. It's about being committed and connected, especially in the body of Christ. Where did this idea of be resilient come from? Where are we attempting to take you over the next couple of weeks? Well, the idea for this series came from Barna Research. I don't know how many of you have heard of Barna Research or who they are, but they are a Christian research form, uh, a foundation in Dallas, Fort Worth, that's been around for about 40 years. And in those 40 years, they've done over 2 million individual interviews and thousands and thousands of assessments for this purpose, to help the church and church leaders know the times and to know what to do. So that's Barna's commitment. They ask millions of questions to try to get at the granular level of what's going on in the church, what's impacting the church, what's impacting our faith, what's impacting generations of young people, why are people staying, why are people leaving. And so today we want to talk about a little bit about not only what they found, but we want to try to find our space in this idea of resilience. What does it mean for us to move past church attendance on Sundays and Wednesdays to a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that is able to allow us to snap back no matter what comes at us? Okay, and that's a challenge, right? There are many, many things that are coming at us, let many things that are fighting for our attention, millions, it feels like, of hits that we take, uh, many things that are happening in our culture and our time where we're saying, Lord, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? What's the church doing? And where are we going? So that's where we hope to go in this journey of being resilient. And today, my specific focus is to talk about the purposefulness of quiet time, of getting away with God, not just because we should or it's a churchy or spiritual thing to do, but in order to hear from God, sometimes we got to stop hearing from everybody else. Amen? We have millions and millions of points of information that we get between our televisions, between our computers, our phones, and too often, brothers and sisters, other people are speaking more loudly than God is in our life. And so I want to talk with you today about quiet time. So as we do that, would you help me? Would you pray with me as I pray with you that God would speak to us in ways that are relevant for you, encouraging for you, and something that one thing that you can take away that you say, yes, that's for me. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this privilege to be here this morning with my Highlands family. Thank you for who they are and that I believe they are resilient, that they have come in this room, Lord, not just to hear a word and not just to the Highlands to grab a cup of coffee or those kind of things. We're here because we believe in our hearts that you are who you say you are. And we want more for ourselves, for our children, for our cities, for our nation, for our world. We want more than just showing up 
than just nodding our heads in agreement. We want to have a deep and impactful relationship with you that transforms culture because we are transformed. And so, Lord, would you hide me behind your word today? Would you encourage my brothers and sisters to be able to hear something today that says, yes, that is for me. I receive that today. And so I thank you for this preaching privilege and opportunity. May you now, Lord, get the absolute glory out of all that is said and done today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, resilience, snapback, determination in the walk of a Christian. What does it take? When you think about your own journey, I want you to think about the things that have helped you to stay put in your walk with God. What have been those key indicators for you that Jesus Christ is worth following? Was it a summer camp? A great opportunity where you heard Jesus revealed to you in a way that for the first time said, wow, I never thought about Jesus like that. Was it a revival? Was it an individual, a mentor, a grandparent perhaps, or a parent whose walk with God was in such a way that you wanted to emulate that person? Did any of you wake up in the morning and have somebody in your home or a grandparent that you knew at a certain hour of the day they'd be on their knees praying? I did. I had a grandmother. I had grandparents and others that I knew. I could look at my watch in the morning and I knew my grandma was praying for each of us by name. I knew my mom was praying as she was hustling us to get us out the door. A school teacher who had hundreds of other kids to pay attention to, but she was always praying for us. Sometimes she would just, as we were walking out the door, it kind of looked like duck, duck, gray duck. Like she'd put her hand on each one of our heads. I think she was just counting to make sure she didn't lose one of us. But she would just do that. And I know that she would just bless us as we walked out the door in the morning. I was fortunate to grow up in a home that wasn't perfect, but there were indicators of life, not just faith, indicators of life, discipline in our lives and in our walk with Jesus that helped me to know, man, this is worth it. My parents aren't playing a game here. They're not just raising us up in the church because that's what they should do. They're raising us up in the church because they know something about this world. They know something about the darkness that is around us and they want us to do more than survive. They want more than to see and make sure that we come through the door at the end of the day when we've been playing till the lights came on. Anyone else had that was your signal of coming inside when the, when the lights came on? They wanted to know that as we got older and we grew up that we were making wise decisions, that we, when we went off to college that we could make decisions without their watchful eye. So we grew up, I grew up, having a sense of what it meant to walk with Jesus. Now, let me be honest with you. My siblings, there are five of us. The majority aren't walking with Jesus because there are other things in their lives that seem to be drawing them. And I'm praying for them. And as the sibling who is also the pastor, it's not an easy role to be in. But I can tell you and promise you that I want my siblings to know Jesus more than they know the things of this world, more than they know the Viking stats, more than they know all the other things. If they can dress up in purple and gold, they can come and sit in the front seat and listen to the word of God. They don't want to hear that from me, so I won't tell them. So what does it look like, friends, if we, if you and I, want to have a snapback if we want to be able to stand and be resilient in a culture that tells us we are crazy for believing in a God that we cannot see, 
If we want to be resilient Christians who can face the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if we want to be those kind of resilient Christians that when the world pushes against our faith, when the world wants to conform our children, we push back in the name of Jesus and say, not so. If we want to be those kind of resilient Christians, resilient disciples, what does that look like? Well, let me give you kind of, according to this Barna research, let me uh, give you a definition, according to Barna research, about a, what a resilient disciple looks like. Uh, it'll be right up here on, for, on the screen for you. Resilient disciples, according to Barna research, have four primary things that mark them. One, they are people who attend church at least monthly and engage with their church more than just attending worship services. So you heard Pastor Paul say, man, we need some help with youth. We need some things to be done. That means more than showing up, more than being spiritually fed, we're looking for places to plug in. We're asking the question, where can I serve? Where can I be of help? What would bring me joy and what would bring others joy? So according to their research, resilient disciples attend church more than monthly and they engage more than just in worship services. They're in their churches and they're active. Number two, and this is probably for me the most important thing, they trust firmly in the authority of the Bible. Now, I'm not going to try to talk anyone into the authority of Scripture today, but I can tell you this. If the Bible is just a good idea, if the words in the Scriptures are simply some great thing that are motivational words, you will not be a resilient disciple. It is incredibly difficult to follow a God that you do not know, and you cannot follow a God that you do not know unless you are in his word. And I have found that when I have put God's word to the test, his word is real and his word is true. Now, there are ways that we have to learn to read the word. How do we understand the word theologically? How do we understand the word historically? How do we understand what we apply to our lives today and what was something that was meant for the first century church and what is meant for us? That is why studying the word of God is so important so that we know how to apply it. But according to Barna Research, they trust firmly, resilient disciples trust firmly in the authority of scripture and model their lives by the word. There is no other higher authority for them, no greater voice than the authority of scripture. Three, resilient disciples, people with snapback, are committed to Jesus personally and affirm that he was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. Now that may seem like a duh to you. But even in the time that Jesus Christ was alive, there were people who would say that they believed in God, but did not believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead physically in human form, in his body, that there was no bodily resurrection. If you go back and even look at it, look at Corinthians, you will see that Paul is fighting against smaller sects of people that argued against the reality that Jesus Christ actually raised from the dead in human form. And so we've got to recognize it, that they believe that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ meant something, that he took all of our sin, fully God, fully human. He died on that cross, but he did not stay in the grave, that he was raised from the dead and right now sits at the right hand of the Father with all authority and all power. 
That is what they believe. And number four, resilient disciples express desire to transform the broader society as an outcome of their faith. That means that their faith is not just for them and about them. They are saved and out of that salvation, out of trusting and believing in the gospel, out of trusting and believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, out of trusting and believing that his word is true, they have such a knowledge of what Christ has done in them that they cannot and will not keep it to themselves. That they believe that it is important to say, listen, if there's somebody else that is out there hurting, based on my testimony that I have been transformed by this gospel, I believe that somebody else needs to hear it. Brothers, sisters, the woman that you are looking at today is not a perfect person, but it is those four things that transformed my life. I was raised in church. I was raised going to church, but I did not know and understand the reality of who Jesus Christ was to me because in the church that I was raised in, I was raised on what to do to be a member of that church, not so much how I needed to be raised to be a disciple of Christ. Anyone else been there? You were raised in church, you're like, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what it looks like to be a good whatever, Lutheran, Catholic, whatever it was. Here's what you do. So I learned to be more religious, but I did not learn to be a disciple. Nobody taught me, what do I do? How do I forgive somebody who's hurt me? How do I walk away from a situation where I don't agree? What do I do when somebody is mocking my faith? How do I stand up? How do I not lash out when I'm angry because I'm supposed to step back? Does that make me look weak? Nobody taught me those things. And so as a result, I felt like I was a constant spinning wheel. I was good for a couple of weeks then I was fine and then I would fall into sin or temptation and I felt like I was a relentless, on a relentless hamster wheel. And here's what it did in me. Give me an amen if it's been like this for you. It made God really small and Satan really big. I would say to God, if, if you're so powerful, how come I can't get out of this role that I'm in where I feel like I'm not growing up in you? It wasn't that Jesus hadn't done all the work. It's that the church hadn't taught me properly. I guarantee you, as long as I stand in front of you, I will do everything I can do to teach you the word of God properly. Because I would not be in front of you if the word of God, not my degrees, if, the word of, if I would not have taken a chance, if I would not have walked away from religiosity, if I would not have had broken situations in my life that drove me to Jesus Christ, I would not be standing in front of you. And I do not stand in front of you thinking that I'm better than anyone else, but I can tell you that I am saved today because Jesus Christ is real and alive. I am alive because he is alive. I'm not a used car salesman. If someone's in here, you can forgive me, but that's the only thing I can think of. I can't sell anything I don't believe in. Forget it. I believe. And furthermore, his spirit lives on the inside of me. And I want us to be resilient Christians. No matter what the world says, no matter how it comes at you, no matter what happens in your school systems, no matter what happens in our government, no matter who's in power, I want you to have a snapback intuitive reality that your king is in control no matter what we see happening down here. 
I want you to have a stalwart determination that when darkness tries to come in as a flood, the enemy and the enemy tries to come, God will raise up a standard against him. I want you to know that the greater one lives on the inside of you. I want you to know that you were not born to take up space. I want you to know that the things that have happened in your life, the brutal things, the heartbreaking things, the broken things, the fatherless things, God will use it all. Not one thing will be wasted in your life if you give it all to him and you let him work. But if you're gonna give it all to him and let him work, you gotta do more than show up. Don't just show up here. Show up in your intimate relationship with him and walking with him, amen? So we gotta church, attend church and get involved. We gotta trust that the word of God is true, that Jesus Christ did raise from the dead and is alive, and that we've gotta want our salvation to be more than for ourselves. We've gotta have a cultivated compassion that other people who are broken, we just can't stand it. Why? Because it was grace alone that saved us. And some of us can close our eyes and think, wow, if it wasn't for the goodness of God, I know I would be dead. I know I would be. So thanks be unto God for his goodness and his mercy. So what, let's talk a little bit about what builds resilient disciples. I'm gonna geek out on y'all just for a quick minute and give you this chart. If you start to blank out on me and your eyes roll back in your head, I'll be like, hey, pay attention. All right, so there are four different kinds of uh, young people. So this resilient uh, training that they did, this, what they looked at really was about 18 to 30-year-olds, but it applies to all of us. And as they did these interviews with 18 to 30-year-olds, they really came up with four primary groups of young people, young adults, that we see in the church, in the world, and in the U.S. today. And here is kind of how they identify them. Some would be called prodigals or ex-Christians. These are young people that were raised in the church. They were raised going to church. They even made a confession at some point. But somewhere along the line, they walked away from their faith. Young people in here, those of you who are graduating, those who have young people who are going off to college, you need to make sure that your young person is somewhere, is connected somewhere. Don't just weep and, and move them in. Is there a campus crusade on their campus? Is there a, another ministry on their campus? Don't leave your kids out there to the wills of your schools. Make sure that there's a church nearby. Is there a salt ministry nearby? What is close by that your young person can run to and at least have some form of relationship where people will understand where they've been at? Ex-Christians are those who raised in the church, know the church, knew the word of God, and somewhere along the line said, eh, not for me. That's the first group. The second are nomads. They are unchurched. They are those that maybe knew about God, but they are a continually growing group of young people that would, are kind of wanderers. They're looking for a place to tap in, but they find Christianity to be a little bit fanciful, a little bit fanatical. And because of some of the things that we've seen in the sinfulness of the church, they're like, you guys are no better than we are, so why should we follow you? So they're looking, they're searching, they're nomads, they're wanderers, and they're struggling to find their place in Christ. Third, the third are habitual churchgoers. That means they're in church at least once a month, but that's about it. So they go, 
but they really perhaps haven't found a place to connect. Many, many of our churches in the U.S. don't have viable, thriving young adult ministries. And I will tell you that any church that does not have thriving ministries for youth and young adults is a church that is going to die. It is a generation of young people that must be fed and nurtured. Long after they're done coloring and coloring books and eating pizza, you should want your young person to have received the word of God. You should want to have a youth pastor that is telling them what's in your heart, what's in your soul, what's in your spirit. As a youth pastor, my desire was to stretch my young people and have hard conversations to ask, as I've always said to you, the what and the why. What's the purpose of our faith and why are you following And if you can't answer those questions, you're going to be vacillating throughout your life. We need to make sure that the ground underneath us is solid. And then finally, those resilient disciples, those are only 10%. Resilient disciples make up 10% of all young people who are attending church today. And look at the differences in what they believe. Worship is a lifestyle, not just an event. 91% of those resilient young people believe that to be true. Jesus has deeply transformed my life. Ex-prodigals would say 8%. Resilient disciples would say 87%, meaning they have a testimony. They can say for themselves, this is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And then finally, there are others there. Jesus understands what my life is like in these days. I regularly experience at church. All of these things, you can see that the resilient disciples, their numbers are much, much higher. Okay, enough about resilience. Let's talk about personal time with Jesus. How many of you find getting quiet with God to be a struggle? Let's be honest. Wave at me like, oh my God, I gotta be quiet with Jesus. I don't want to. He's gonna talk to me and say things I don't wanna hear. Have any of you felt that way? I have in my life, like, oh, if I'm quiet and I like sit and I'm like really still. Don't you all ever, you ever done that? Like, hey God, go ahead and say something. I've done a lot of talking. It's your turn. Let's go. Got things to do. Work. Woo, it's getting late. Please don't ask me to forgive that person. Thank you. I'm not going there with you, Jesus. Thanks, though. Quiet time. All of us struggle with quiet time. All of us struggle to find quiet time. Some of that isn't because we don't want to be quiet. For some of us, it's because it's unnerving. For some of us, to be quiet and to be still, what happens? We get attacked in our thoughts. I know for me what was so hard with being quiet in the early days of my walk with God is that I just, my mind would rage. It would race. I would think about a million different things. I would try, but then I would think, hear me out, the number of loads of laundry that were not clean. What I was going to make for dinner. Are we going to go on family vacation this year? I need to lose 20 pounds. All of those things would come within three seconds. And here it is, I'm trying to learn to discipline myself. Why is quiet time outside of the difficulty of getting there important? This is not on the slide, but there is something about resilience and rest that we need to learn to get a hold of. 
I read an article as I was preparing for this called Resilience is about how you recharge, not about how you endure. Amazing article in Harvard Business Review. And here was an incredible um, quote that I think is important for us in understanding resilience and rest. Resilience involves working hard, but it also requires one to rest and recover. To build resilience, you need to be willing to stop. It's not about toughing it out. It's about powering down. It's about recovering and then stepping back into our work. This, dear brothers and sisters, is why the Jewish people practice something called Sabbath. Sabbath is about powering down. It is about doing nothing but being still in the presence of God. It's about learning to attune your ear to the things of God and not fearing what God would say to you, but trusting that what God is saying to you is for your good and for his glory. Okay? Your being quiet is for your good and for his glory. Even research coming from the business sector is saying, slow down. Slow down. Why? Because it is billions and billions of dollars that corporations are spending for people who are now winding up being hospitalized and needing mental health care because they're not taking their vacation time, their personal time, they're not resting, and they're not powering down. Dear brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to power down, how to unplug how to resist the temptation of technology, and how to be quiet for God's glory and for our good. So let's take a look at a couple portions of scripture when we think about what the basis is for being quiet. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. It was very early in the morning and still dark. Jesus got up and left the house. He went to a place where he could be alone. And he prayed. Simon and his friends went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they called out, everyone is looking for you. Anyone ever feel that way? You can't power down, not because you don't want to, because everybody's looking for you. Mamas, everybody needs you. Everybody's pulling on your pant leg. Bosses, everybody wants to know what the answer is. It's hard to power down if you feel like you cannot take time away. Even Jesus, we see regularly, took time away. He went to a mountain to pray. Before he took on the cross, he went with Peter and James and John. He went and he prayed and he asked them to stay awake. But he knew the importance of hearing his father's voice so he could do the work. Hear me clearly. We cannot be resilient disciples unless we're quiet and hear the voice of God. Individually and collectively so that we can do the work. Matthew 6, 6, I gave it to you in the Message Bible. I love this. It says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. I love that. 
I looked at the NIV and the NLT and everything else, and it just wasn't hit, and I had to give you the message. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Whoa, God doesn't want us to play church. God doesn't want you to be perfect dad, perfect husband. He doesn't want you to play a game. He doesn't want you to put on a mask. He wants you to be able to power down and he wants you to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He cares enough for you to say, hey, brother, I don't need you to be perfect. I need you to be holy. Hey, woman of God, I don't need you to be mother of the year. I need you to be my daughter. Hey, young person, I don't need you to be a size zero because you think that that's going to make you cuter than everybody else. I need you to have boldness in me. We put masks on and we try to live out this Christian identity and we don't have intimacy with God and we cannot do it without him. Masks off, dear friend. Eyes up, hearts open. We need quiet time to hear from him. And I know for some of us, it's a scary prospect. But it was only when I stopped being afraid and started to hear him that I realized how important it was just to hear him. I'm not giving you the number of days or times. I'm simply asking you to ease into intimacy and quiet with God. And we'll talk about what that looks like in just a moment. Be resilient, quiet time. All of us have heard Psalm 23, the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What will it look like for you to lack nothing? To know that he's everything? You can't lack nothing. You can't believe that if you don't believe that all of your needs shall be met according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You won't believe that he is your exceedingly great reward if you don't believe that he will give you everything that you need. Look at this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He gives me space to breathe. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now that makes is not a forced language. It's not like when I tried to make my daughters take a nap and I would throw my leg over them and they would kind of do a mambo underneath my leg to get out from underneath it and then they would be gone and I would be knocked out of sleep. Anyone ever tried to do that? Like I'm gonna throw my arm or my kid over my arm over my kid and they're like, yeah, they're out. Like they're escape artists. God is not trying to make you. He's not trying to force you to lay down. He's saying, come to me. You all know it. All of you who are weary, and heavy laden. I can see it on your face. I can see it in your marriage. I can see it in the way that you're relating to your kids. I can see it in the frustrations. I can see it in your anger. Come to me. You're weary. You're burdened. All of you, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. The deep inner places of your life, you will find rest when your mind is raging, you'll find rest when you're scared that you're gonna lose your job. You'll find rest when I'm speaking to you and telling you that I alone am God and give you the ability to get wealth. You will find rest for your soul when you're terrified that your relationship is on the rocks. You'll find rest because your rest is in me, not in your performance. Masks off, eyes up, hearts open. Masks off, friends. Take them off. 
Masks off, perfection off, fear off, take it off, disrobe. Get that stuff off of you. This road is too narrow for you to be taking wheelbarrows of junk with you. He wants you to have a freedom to flow in him. He guides us along his paths for his namesake. Scripture after scripture after scripture talk to us about rest. Jesus modeled rest. And then he taught his disciples to come away and be at rest. It's important that we learn this. So why does quiet time matter? Some of you are doing great at practicing quiet time right now because you're like, okay. Don't do quiet time with me, friends. Do quiet time later. Open your eyes. Why does quiet time matter? Hunters, where are you at? Do you know that it can be quiet time? You're like, we know. That's why we go on a regular basis, even when it's not hunting season. Listen. <laughs> Shoot, use the duck blind. Get out there in nature. Where does your quiet time need to happen? It doesn't need to happen cross-legged under a tree with a pen and pencil and a glass of lemonade. If you want to do it that way, <laughs> groovy. But if you have a different way that you want quiet time, if it's walking, for my husband, his quiet time is getting on his bike and riding 30 miles. He can't get his mind to quiet down unless his body is being physically worked. The other place he does quiet time, chopping wood. Does that sound crazier than anyone else? Like, yes, chopping the wood. Yes, my husband loves, give him a, yes, give him a, a big old tree and give him an ax. He's good to go. Leave him out there. Why does it matter? Because it removes distractions and the noise of the world. You guys, there's so much that is happening. AI right now, technology, it keeps going so fast. And it's not just us. Our kids are being exposed to things. We need to be quiet so that we know what the tempter is doing and how he's trying to use things. So it removes distractions and the noise of the world. Unplugging may initially feel uncomfortable, but it is so good for our soul. It allows us to rest in his presence. Does anyone find rest out in nature? Taking a walk, taking a swim, Y'all, do your quiet time out there. Take your quiet time out there. Go for a walk early morning. For some of you, it's sitting in a perfect chair and having a cup of coffee somewhere in your house. Where are the coffee people? Yes, got to have a cup of coffee. Don't talk to me before the coffee. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Grabbing something, finding a quiet place. Some people have turned their prayer closets, their a, a former closet, into a prayer room a place where they can put all their prayers and their requests. Allow us to rest in his presence is why we've got to be still. Guys, we are not good at resting and we need to rest in his presence. Here's number three. It helps us to hear differently and for us to hear from God. There are a lot of us who do not believe that God is still speaking. There are a lot of us who do not believe that God speaks. Now he speaks first primarily and always through his word. But he also speaks through people. He also speaks through pastors. He does speak, but he will also speak uniquely to you in your quiet time. Learn to cultivate stillness and say, Lord, speak to me in a way that I can hear you. It helps us to hear differently and it helps us to hear from God. 
Four, it helps us to prioritize our relationship with God. Pencil it in, schedule it in. If you do multiple things at one time, if you're taking your walk and your quiet time with God at the same time, that's fine. Just learn to cultivate stillness with God because it helps us to prioritize God and keep him first. How many of you know that you would be in a much harder place in your relationships if you didn't have Jesus in your life? Thank God for Jesus in my life, in my parenting, in my marriage. Thank God for Jesus. When I prioritize my relationship with Jesus and I hear from Jesus, I talk to my husband differently, my kids differently, my youth ministry kids differently. I prepare for sermons differently. I hear inflections of what God wants me to say differently. But we've got to prioritize it. He's got to be first. Number five, it nourishes and renews our mind and our body and our soul. God wants you to be refreshed, not frantic. He doesn't want you running and sprinting from place to place. He wants you to learn how to show up refreshed and effective, effective for his kingdom. And five, it allows us to receive what we need from God. Now let me say this and then we'll have the worship team come up. Let me just be honest with you. This is a season and there have been seasons in my life where being quiet has been easier. When I was single, it was easier. When I did not have a newborn, it was easier. Uh, When I was not racked with pain and sciatica, it was easier. When I was not spending the majority of my evenings writing a dissertation and falling asleep, it was easier. There are always going to be life situations and circumstances that test our time, guys, right? There are things right now, we want to be effective people. We want to show up on time for work. We want to show up and be present. There are always going to be things that fight for your time. Don't make God one of the things or one of the people that is to fight for your time. When you're quiet with him, mamas, new mamas, daddies, when you're rocking your baby, talk to God. When you're depleted, God, I feel exhausted and I don't feel like I can be my best for you. You can be your best for him. Let me close with a story as an encouragement to someone because the Lord is telling me to share it. Our oldest daughter is 22, but I remember the day she was born. I remember all the circumstances of when she was born and I remember bringing her home. And all of you who have been parents of newborns recognize that they're on their time, not yours. And I remember being up very early in the morning and um, feeding her, nursing her, and the light of the moon was coming through the window, and I was crying. And I said, God, I'm so sorry that I just haven't had my time with you like I used to. I'm just tired. And I just started, you know, when you just say, I'm I'm tired, and then everything else just, I'm just really tired, and I just can't, and I just can't do it, right? And you're like inaudible, and you're like blithering on, and, but God, in a still small voice, said, what makes you think that you're sitting here doing the sweetest thing that you could do for this baby, giving her life? What makes you think that's not time with me? What makes you think not nursing this baby or playing with your kids is not time spent with me? 
What makes you think not reaching out and loving somebody is not time spent with me? See, guys, a lot of you are already doing amazing things. You just need to reprioritize how you're thinking about those things. It doesn't always have to be in some corner. Sometimes it's walking with your kids and pushing them on the, as they're swinging and just looking up to God and say, thank you, Lord, for this sweet time with my family. Thank you for a place to worship God. Lord, later on as I'm cooking, as you're standing there and you recognize the kids are hungry and they're dashing back and forth, God, thank you for a home that is full of laughter. Thank you for my children. God, just help me, give me the strength to know, even in these little moments and seconds with you, help me just to relish them. It doesn't have to be an hour, gang. It doesn't have to be 45 minutes. Sometimes it's the minute that the word of God or the love of God comes to mind and you stop and say, Thanks for loving me enough to talk to me in the midst of all of my chaos. I promise I'll try to find a way, God, just to acknowledge that you want time with me not to scold me, not because you're angry with me, because you love me so much that you want me to be resilient no matter what this world throws at me. You're giving me the strength to catch every curveball that the devil tries to throw my way. Can't do it without quiet time, gang. God wants us to be resilient, and I believe that I'm looking at the faces of resilient people, people that I love and people that God loves even more. So let's keep doing this work together, and as we journey on this series called Be Resilient, I pray that we can do it all the more together, holding each other's hands as we do it, and trusting that the God of all creation knows, loves, sees, adores you, and wants you to be resilient so you can stand and face him one day and say, and you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Let's stand and worship.